welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 62 being recorded on Tuesday, December 6, 2016. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason and Scott listeners. Well, there's some big news this week. Amazon News. Your margin is their opportunity. You've probably heard us say it wouldn't be a Jason and Scott show without a little Amazon news, and that's what we're going to really focus on this week. There was a huge announcement. Amazon announced Amazon Go. So what we want to do this week is a deep dive on this. We've both been fielding lots of calls from uh, reporters, industry gurus, insiders, and folks outside the industry that want to learn more about what's going on. Um, So... Uh, we thought the best way to start, there's a video, it's about a minute and a half. Uh, I know, uh, I think between the two of us, we've probably watched this video a hundred times and there's some things in there that you may not have seen if you just kind of gave it a cursory view. So Jason, you want to start the video and we'll, uh, kind of tell folks there's, uh, you'll hear, you'll hear some, some music and then we'll, we'll kind of pause at, at key points to kind of tell you what's going on. Cause we know that this is not a video show. It's an audio show. So let's tee that up and, and listen to that. You got it, Scott. Four years ago, we started to wonder what would shopping look like if you could walk into a store, grab what you want and just go. What if we could weave the most advanced machine learning, computer vision, and AI into the very fabric of a store so you never have to wait in line? No lines, no checkouts, no registers. Welcome to Amazon Go. So what they showed there is a guy walking into a store through this glass turnstile. He scans his phone on the way in, grabs a sandwich off the shelf, and walks out. Uh, And it also shows a lady filling a bag with items in the background. So what's a little interesting there is the the turnstile, which is very similar to like a subway turnstile, denies you access to the store. You physically can't walk into the store until you scan uh, the the 2D barcode on the Amazon app onto the turnstile. And then it opens it up and lets you in, much like paying your fare on a subway. I'm going to go ahead and uh, start the next segment of the video. Use the Amazon Go app to enter. Then put away your phone and start shopping. It's really that simple. Take whatever you like. Anything you pick up is automatically added to your virtual cart. If you change your mind about that cupcake, just put it back. Our technology will update your virtual cart automatically. 
Okay, in this segment, uh, there's kind of a lot going on. So first of all, it slows down the use case. In that first segment, the guy very quickly walks in, grabs a sandwich, and walks out. Um, so now we have uh, a lady. She stops at the turnstile. She has a purse, and she takes a second to pull her phone out. She actually pulls up the Amazon Go app, uh, and she scans a barcode. Uh, now, uh, we wouldn't be geeky if we didn't kind of freeze frame that and zoom in. So you can actually get a pretty good view of the app and its whole navigation there. It's a separate application called Amazon Go. Her name turns out to be Jamie. So uh, uh, the other thing that's interesting is when you look at this barcode at first, it looks like a QR code, but it's really not a traditional QR code. It's more of a proprietary 2D barcode, um, which is used in a lot of applications out there already. So it's just kind of they've they've chosen their own proprietary way of of recognizing who you are. <clears throat> so uh, so that's kind of the Jamie sequence. Uh, then we see this couple that are shopping together, and they both have their phones uh, out. Then they cut to this lady who I like to call the cupcake lady. Uh, and there's a sequence where we're the camera's kind of like behind some cupcakes, and we're looking down at through at her through the product. And there's also a virtual overlay of a shopping cart. She has two items in her shopping cart. She grabs the cupcake, and that puts the cupcake into the. It's actually a cheesecake cupcake. Uh, she she that puts it into her cart. Then she changes her mind and puts it back. She walks off. Then she runs up later and grabs the cupcake again. And we see this kind of interesting add to cart back and and kind of uh, movement within the cart of this cupcake as she makes that decision. So they're they're really trying to show the real-time nature of how this is added to your virtual cart. Um, I think that's the highlights there. So let's kick it off again for the last little segment. So how does it work? We used computer vision, deep learning algorithms, and sensor fusion, much like you'd find in self-driving cars. We call it Just Walk Out Technology. Once you've got everything you want, you can just go. When you leave, our Just Walk Out technology adds up your virtual cart and charges your Amazon account. Your receipt is sent straight to the app, and you can keep going. Amazon Go. No lines, no checkout. No, seriously. So that's uh, pretty exciting. That final piece shows the shopper walking out of the store, not having to go through any special scanner or line or anything like that, and automatically being charged on their Amazon account. So when you you zoom in there, you see that uh, essentially the the same payment credentials that that he's used for for his Amazon purchases is being charged for these purchases, and there's a digital receipt on his screen. Um, and of course, they've created some some interesting new brand names there. Uh, most notably, uh, just walkout technology. Yeah, and you know what? We're going to have to coin a new phrase on the show. Everyone listening, this is the first time you're going to hear this. In e-commerce, we already have BOPIS, which is buy online, pick up in store. And now I think we can abbreviate this just walkout technology to JWOT, J-W-O-T. Or the way I like to say it is J-WOT. Exactly. They also, uh, in the video, they also have another tagline where they say, no lines, no checkout, no, seriously. So that that's that's kind of cute. Um. So we have a ton to dive into on this, Jason. Why don't you kick it off and give a little history on the show? We've talked about a lot of the tidbits here uh, that, that kind of add up to what is Amazon Go, but I think it would be good for folks that, uh, shame on them, have not listened to every podcast to kind of summarize some of the pieces that led up to this big surprise announcement. Yeah, thanks, Scott. 
So you know, one of the things they emphasize a few times in the video and on their their info site uh, is that this store has been in the works for uh, like four years. And, uh, you know, certainly we've we've talked to some ex-Amazonians that say they worked on the store uh, that haven't been at Amazon for a number of years. So this has been a, a long time in the making, and Amazon appears to be uh, somewhat interested in making sure you know that this is a, a long-term project as opposed to something they – they whip together quickly. Um, and if you go back to 2009, Amazon made a pretty interesting acquisition of this company called Snaptel. And they had some fundamental image recognition technology. Um, and so when they, they acquired them, one of the things we all thought was, oh, man, they're going to use this for some iteration of what, what now is called Firefly and the sort of visual search pe- features on the phone you know, that would originally let you scan a, a CD or a book and identify that product. Um, and, you know, they certainly may have used Naptel technology in those things, but it, it, it clearly seems that very advanced image recognition is going to play an important role in this store as well. Um, and then we, we fast forward a couple of years after that acquisition, and we saw Amazon file a couple of patents um, that clearly seem to describe important features of this store, if not the store uh uh, specifically, and so we'll talk a little bit more about those those patent filings. But again, that was 2013, 2014, um, and so you know now fast forward to the very end of 2016, and we have this this first store opening. We probably should have mentioned it up top. The store is apparently open right now, but you can only get in if you're an Amazon employee, and they've announced that it'll be open to the public in early 2017. So uh, Scott and I are going to take turns sleeping out in front of the store starting in January, and we'll let you know as soon as they let us in. Um, another thing that's been interesting uh, is there's a lot of rumors that some of the technology they're showing in the store is actually technology that got piloted in the fulfillment centers. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the Amazon fulfillment centers are famously very automated and very cost efficient. Um, and there's a lot of discussion about different technologies that have been added to the shelves and the bins in the fulfillment centers that do things like inventory count and product detection and identify fraud and shrink in the fulfillment center. Um, and so it's, it's reasonable to assume that a version of some of those technologies you know, might be what we're seeing here um, in this store. Uh, you know, listeners of this show may remember that when we were uh, talking about the Amazon Alexa in an earlier show, uh, we talked about an interview that Jeff Bezos did uh, at the Code Conference, and he sort of casually mentioned that he had over a 1,000 people working on machine learning, AI, and Amazon. And at the time, the only machine learning project that, that we all knew about in Amazon was the the Amazon Alexa. So I think we assume those were all people that were directly working on Alexa features. But uh, it now, you know, is very obvious that some of those folks may be working on the fundamental technology that's used in this store. Um, so that's kind of some of the history that led up to this store. Some things we know specifically about this store, it's about an 1,800-square-foot store. So that's not a, a large retail format. That's uh, very similar to like a 7-Eleven, and this is clearly intended to be a convenience store, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, and one thing that keeps coming up is people are confusing this store with some other retail concepts that we've talked about with Amazon. And so, you know, on previous podcasts, we've talked about Amazon opening 
a grocery pickup location in Seattle. And we've actually talked about how there are these two construction sites that people have been able to associate with Amazon. And it looks like both of those are being opened. And originally that was called Project X. I think there might be a cooler code name for it now uh, whose name escapes me, unless Scott remembers it. Um, but uh, the this store is not those two stores. So this this store is in downtown Seattle, uh, literally connected to the Amazon Biosphere, which is their new corporate headquarters. And the two other construction sites we've been watching are are sort of uh, north and south of this. So uh, up north in Boward and south uh, downtown in an area called Soto. Um, and so this store really like popped out of nowhere. No one really had this on the radar screen. And, and this very definitely is a different concept. This is the, the no checkout convenience store concept. Uh, we think in the very near future, these other two stores are going to open. That seems like it's going to be a grocery pickup location. And then of course, Amazon already has a bookstore open uh, in Seattle. And now two other bookstores open uh, as well. The, the drive up is project Como C-O-N-O. Como, that's right. Yeah, um, that's what they're calling it internally now. Yeah, UCX, and I wonder if that was after Como. Jeff took a vacation in Italy on Lake Como or something. But mm. uh, you heard it here first. Uh, two other sort of interesting things. Um, the there are some other little announcements that got blended into this announcement. So one of the products they talk about being able to buy from this convenience store are ready-made meal kits. So sort of all the ingredients that you um, would have for a meal and you take it home and cook it at home. So very similar to a blue apron model. But one of the you know big challenges with a model like blue apron is most of the cost of that service is shipping that product on dry ice to the, um, the, the consumer. And in this case, like, you know, having those same meal kits available for you to pick up and take with you potentially has even much more favorable economics. So that was interesting. Um, that, that, uh, Amazon appears to be launching some new products specifically for this store. They also talk about creating a lot of fresh food in the store. And so actually having chefs in the store creating a lot of ready to meet e uh, meals and foods and things like that. Um, and of course, uh, you know, it, it is important to remember that this is a totally different concept from the Amazon bookstores that are open. And there's, there's no connectivity that we can see at the moment. Um, and we, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, so, Scott, do you want to take us through some of the technology implications of the store? Yeah, a couple of things on kind of the, the context history quickly. Um, this reminds me a lot of Marks and Spencer in the UK where, you know, it's this really small store. There's a lot of these ready-made sandwiches. People kind of generally walk in and walk out really quick. It, you know, it doesn't have a lot of the technology we're talking about, but kind of like the format is, is like that. Um, and, and, you know, pretty unique. We don't have a lot of that in the US, so it's it's pretty interesting They've they've kind of – taken this new concept. Um, the other thing uh, is there's been a fair number of rumors that Amazon has plans in place to open 2000 of something uh, of some kind of a store. Now, you know, a lot of people assumed that was the bookstore. Now we have Amazon go there's Como. And then there's, you know, if we think that uh, go and Como are two of three, there's a third thing. We don't know exactly what that is. Um, but you know, my, my, you know, one of the things we'll talk about is what's that look like, and is there a path to two thousand of these somewhere? Which, which is pretty interesting to think through. 
So on the video, they talked a lot about technology. So I, I want to, we've gotten a lot of questions about this. So, so we want to take a stab at kind of um, explaining, uh, you know, for folks that, that may not have a technical background, kind of what's going on here and how this works. So, so in the video, they explicitly say um, computer vision deep learning algorithms, sensor fusion, and AI. So, so let's walk through each of those. Computer vision seems like it's used for people tracking. So once once you scan at that, that uh, turnstile, uh, and let's say Jason scans, now it knows Jason's entered the store, um, and you know there may be some implicit permissioning that you are now, uh, it's okay to now track you using computer vision. So using things like facial recognition and whatnot, and the patent even go in and say um, that they can also use microphones to track where you are. So they listen to you and they kind of, you know, uh, you know there must be some distinct sound people make or their footsteps or something like that. Uh, and they also talk about using cell triangulation, uh, which is, you know, you, there's a couple ways you can do that. I, I won't go into the details. Um, so, so that's really interesting. So the computer vision part that they talk about in the video, our, our best guess is that's what they're using to track the people. And they know that it's you in front of a shelf. And uh, so that, that that's one piece of what's going on. On here. The next one is a weird phrase, and they say sensor fusion. Uh, I've gotten a lot of questions about that. And um, the, the problem with using computer vision for, uh, well, let me back up. So, understanding what product you're grabbing is a hard problem. And um, there's some technology, there's a variety of ways to solve that skin the cat here. Um, the one it seems like they're using is what they're calling sensor fusion. So the challenge with computer vision is you you can't really get a 3D model of a product because a, a camera gives you a 2D image and uh, you just don't have enough data to understand what that image is. So I could hold up a picture of a uh, some ketchup and ketchup and the computer vision wouldn't know the difference because it's blind to the third dimension. So what they do is there's a laser-based radar system called LIDAR. And this is very commonly used in self-driving vehicles. Um, all Teslas are equipped with this. Uh, there's a whole company called uh, something I that that has a whole system that's a licensable platform for, for self-driving and recognizing where other cars are. And what LiDAR does, if you marry it with a camera and uh, you, you can, and sometimes the camera can be a typical camera, like a vision camera or an IR camera. It depends on what they're trying to solve for. What you can do is you can now kind of say, all right, I now have a 3D uh, model of this image, and that makes it a lot easier to understand what's going on and what where the product is in 3D space. Um, is the person touching it? Is it in the bag? Is it under their shirt? You can, um, with this sensor fusion, what they're calling sensor fusion, you can now get a really good uh, idea of what's going on. Now, this is a very, very compute. All these things we're talking about are very compute heavy. So somewhere in this store, is a lot of computing infrastructure, or knowing Amazon, uh, it may be up in the cloud. You know, maybe uh, the the cloud is off. They're lo offloading a lot of this compute to some kind of a cloud, an AWS system that that's doing a lot of it. Um, so that's interesting. I'm, I definitely want to learn more about that. The other phrase they use is deep learning, and a lot of people are like, "What's that have to do with a you know a store? Like, why does deep learning help?" And the way deep learning works is. 
if you if you train a system, um, so so you have a machine that can learn effectively, and that freaks people out. But it's uh, it, it typically is very mundane task that uh, you know a human certainly could do, but it's not using a lot of your brain power. So what you do is uh, product recognition is a really good one. So you say, hey, I have let's use an example of um, three different sizes of ketchup, and what you want to do is small, medium, and large. You want to train the system that this is the small, this is the medium, this is the large. And over time, the system, when you first try it out, it may fail. What machine learning and deep learning do is it gets better. So you have some kind of a system that usually a human that says, no, that was wrong. And then the machine guesses again and the human says, you know, again, you're wrong and here's the right answer. And over time, the machine will learn. And what you're trying to do is get it to kind of this, you know, 99% or better uh, kind of a thing. So these feedback loops are really important in these systems. Um, so, you know, what what I think they've been doing and, and what we've heard is by using these in the fulfillment centers, they've been kind of training this machine on, you know, your average fulfillment center has one to one and a half million products. Uh, and, uh, you know, another thing I've heard is that they can see 30% of a product. So imagine you have big hands and you pick up a small jar. Uh, another challenge is, you know, you, they can't see the entire product there. Um, so, you know, what I've heard is they've gotten this, this kind of to the point where uh, the machine learning is tight enough and accurate enough that they can see only 30% of the product and have uh, still very good accuracy of what you have. Um, so in that cupcake video, that's what's going on. They can see the lady grab the cupcake. They know it's the cupcake because they've machine learned that, you know, this machine has, has been taught effectively that that's what a cupcake container and cupcake looks like uh, and that's how they do that back and forth the ai um, that they mentioned is really uh you know stands for artificial intelligence and i think that's a just kind of a general term for a lot of these technologies um that that kind of cuts across it's kind of more of a horizontal kind of term i, I don't think there's a specific thing that they're using ai for um jason mentioned the self-driving car comment it has confused a lot of people they're like you know What's that mean? Does you know? Does a self-driving car bring me to the store or something? No, I, I think what they're saying is, when when you actually look at all the self-driving car things going on out there, um, you know, uh, so so Tesla has this, uh, Google's working on it as well. I think they're essentially saying, look, a lot of that same technology is what we're using, and, and that's very true. So a lot of the things I've talked about, like the sensor fusion, they have different names for it. Uh, learning, all those things are are very integral to the self-driving car concept. So that's really what they're saying is it. It's effectively the same scale of a problem they've solved as self-driving cars. They've just to- chosen a different application, which is this kind of you know walk-in, walk-out kind of a retail system. Um, we don't have time to go into the patents, but but what's interesting about them is um, you know let, let me just kind of read a couple of the highlights. The 2013 patent says it's called detecting item interaction and movement. Um, so that's kind of the the vision and the lidar kind of system figuring out where items are. Uh, and then this next one is transitioning items from the materials handling facility. And that really, when you read the patent, it really reads like a fulfillment center. But it has a picture in there, and the, it's kind of interesting. That picture you could almost like put that picture in the video that we've seen here. So it actually, and you know, it looks very much the the only difference is that could, the person shopping um, has more of a fulfillment center cart than a shopping cart. Uh, but it very much is the entire design of these shelves. And they actually go through and they show 
where the microphones would be placed, the computer vision system, the sensor fusion systems, those kinds of things. So, so that's, that's how we're, we're stitching this together is kind of going in and reading those patents. And, and now that we can see this in action, um, you can even see on the video again, if you get really geeky uh, and you look, especially when, um, uh, not Cupcake Lady, because we don't have a good view, but I forget her name already. Um, the one lady that, that checks in, uh, when she walks up to a shelf, you can see uh, a fair amount of electronics around the header of the display that she's interacting with. And that's where a lot of this is embedded. Um, so that's what I noticed. Um, uh, and Jason, anything you want to kick in on the technology side? Yeah, a few things. I'll be curious to see if Amazon tries to uh, trademark the sensor fusion because I'm pretty sure that's the name of the last two razors that Gillette sells. So that could be potentially confusing. Um, the but on a more serious note, one of the things that's that's really interesting is it appears from the video and from rumors of folks that alleged to have been involved in the project that the store is not using any kind of near field technology like RFID. Um, and so we'll we'll maybe touch on this in a sec. But the uh, there have been a lot of previous efforts to kind of skip checkout or aid checkout, and they all rely on these RFID technologies. And, you know, the Achilles heel of all those is you have to have a tag on every product in the store that goes out with the store. So there's this cost to tag every product, and they and uh, many, many stores don't have those, those things, um, uh, or many products don't come with RFID tags, so that's a big labor expense to attach an RFID tag to all these products. So it's pretty interesting that this store appears not to have it. When, by the way, RFID was mentioned as one of the technologies in those in those earlier patents. Um, so I'm going to be when we finally get a chance to go in the store. That's going to be one of the main things I'm interested in. Is it, it seems like Amazon has eliminated checkout without requiring the huge amount of effort to tag every product in the store, and that would that would be a big step forward if that's true. Um, another interesting thing is that they're not using a, a technology I might have expected them to use uh, that's often called uh, digital fact tags or electronic um, shelf labels. Um, so in the video, there's a, a traditional paper sign in front of every product, a traditional paper fact tag that has the name of the product and the, the weight and the mandatory labeling stuff that you have to have and a price. And that is actually fascinating because if uh, you recall from our conversations about the Amazon bookstore, the Amazon bookstore has no prices. Um, so Amazon wants to charge the same prices in their bookstore that they do online. And, of course, Amazon famously has dynamic pricing and changes their price upwards of 2.5 million times a day. And so they can't be printing paper price tags every time they change a price. And so what they do is they they tell you to use your mobile app in the store to scan products and find the price of products in the bookstore, which is frankly kind of clunky. So now you move to this convenience store and they're kind of going old school on pricing and just showing you a paper price, which probably means that, you know, some of the products in this convenience store are also going to be for sale on Amazon and they're probably not going to have the same price as the price on Amazon, which is somewhat interesting and contradictory to the to the bookstore. Also, recently in the bookstore, they actually came up with a two-tier pricing structure, and so they charge a different price for non-Prime members than they do for Prime members. And 
like it doesn't seem likely they'll be able to do that in this store because of the paper price tags as well. So that that's pretty interesting. Um, to me, you know, they're they're really touting the consumer benefit of this kind of store, which is huge, which is reducing that that unpleasant experience of getting in line and checking out and paying for your goods. And so they're they're dramatically lowering the friction for consumers, and that, that's certainly something to focus on. But there are other benefits to this kind of store that all the technology that Scott just walked us through lets you know with a high degree of accuracy exactly how much inventory you have in the store on the shelf and exactly where it is in the store. Is it available on the shelf for a customer? Has a customer already put it in their shopping bag and they're, and they're likely to pay for it? Did a, you know, did it get lost or broken? Uh, you know, are the inventory counts wrong and all those sorts of things. And that turns out to be a pretty big deal because a ton of lost revenue in most stores is what we call out of stocks that, you know, they're out of products on that shelf. A customer can't buy the product. And no one necessarily knew that to make more of the products if it's fresh food or order more of the products if it's, if it's a, a, you know, something that they get from a vendor or in the, the worst possible case, maybe they have some of that product in a back storage room and it's just not on that front shelf. And if they don't know it's out on that shelf, they, there's no way for that corp to go grab the stuff in the back. And so. By having real accurate inventory, you can dramatically reduce your out of stocks, which can make you a bunch of money in retail. And then, of course, in the omni-channel world, we talk a lot about buying online pickup in store or even shipping goods from store. And both of those things require you to have really accurate inventory. And most traditional retailers are lucky if their inventory is accurate for 50% of their goods. And so, you know, layering this kind of technology into a store that would suddenly give it 100% inventory accuracy could have a ton of uh, efficiencies for the store. So I, I think that's some really interesting stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the, the video and everything answers some questions, but I think, you know, we have a bunch of questions that, that can only be answered when we kind of walk in the store and experience what, what do you, what do you, what are kind of some of the open questions that you think about that we'll have to kind of look at when we go in the store? Yeah. Well, so the first thing I'm going to be curious about is just how well does it work and does it work? Right. Like it's really easy to make a video like this. Um, and you know, of course does it work 100% of the time? Is it 80% accurate? You know, are there edge cases that confuse it? Um, and so, uh, you know, my, my first question is from a technical standpoint, you know, have they nailed it and solved all the problems and this is ready to scale? Or is this kind of a cool proof of concept that, you know, teases you for what the future is like, um, but that there's a lot of work to sort of iron out the kinks? So I'll, I'll be really curious just how well overall the system works. Well, they've been working on it for years. So I don't know if, if you know that. I, I did hear that. Um, <laughs> but obviously, it turns out uh, you can think stuff works really well. And then when you let actual pesky customers use it, uh, it turns out they invent all kinds of test cases that you generally didn't think of. Mm-hmm. Um, so then that brings me to the second thing I'll be really curious about. Are customers going to embrace it, right? So you know, it's easy enough for talking heads like us to pontificate about what this means. And, um, and as you could probably tell from my voice, uh, you know, I'm pretty excited about the promise of this stuff. Um, but you know, what that really doesn't matter. What it really boils down to is will consumers perceive that this is a better experience and will they adopt it? And once they adopt it, will they start in, uh, expecting it and insisting it from, 
from their other shopping experiences, which is you know certainly something we've seen uh, Amazon do to to everyone else in terms of e-commerce expectations. So um, I'm going to be really curious when I go in the store how many you know to just observe how many customers are in the store and are they are they doing big shopping trips or are they you know just grabbing a couple things and sort of what are the use cases that seem like consumers are gravitating to. Um, so those are my two big questions, but there are a bunch of uh, smaller things that I'll just be curious about. There's a million edge cases that could cause problems for a store like this. Um, so when I pick up that cupcake and then I get you know guilt and realize my wife's going to judge me for buying the cupcake, um, I may not be the good person that goes back to the shelf and puts it back where I got it. I may just dump it where I am before I leave the store, and and that unfortunately happens a lot in retail. And then you know we have to pay clerks to go restock products, and so you know I'll be curious: will this system track? that right will that will it know that i put the cupcake in the wrong place and not charge me number one number two would it warn a clerk that there's a misplaced cupcake and have them go fix it right or well in the in the patent they actually have a it detects it and it tases you so it it creates a very strong incentive not to leave that cupcake over on the floor by the bananas i'm a strong supporter of getting tased every time you don't buy a cupcake but i don't think i'm in the majority (laughs) on that one um Another really common use case, which I'm, you and I were debating a little bit about how well covered it is in this video, is the whole notion of group shopping. So a heck of a lot of time, a husband and wife go shopping together, or, or you know, um, a family goes shopping together with kids, and you know, you, you know, one of the the principles of impulse buy is we we make a bunch of the products in the store targeted at those kids, and we try to get the kids to grab it and put it in their parent shopping cart. Um, so how is that use case going to happen here? If the kid doesn't have the, the Amazon go app is, are they even going to be able to get in the store with their parents? Like that's a pretty big miss if they can't. And then if they can get in, are they going to get charged on their own Amazon purchase for their goods? And by the way, if they're under 13 years old, they probably can't make a legal contract to buy that stuff. And there, there are all kinds of interesting use cases around group shopping and families, I'll totally be interested to follow that. Um, I know the patent talks a lot about um, the accuracy of the system, and you talked a lot about you know them being pretty sophisticated in detecting like you know hiding uh, products and clothes and things like that. One uh, particularly brilliant set of problem solvers that I'm here to tell you about are shoplifters. And you know every time the industry thinks they've invented a clever mousetrap that the shoplifters can't beat. The shoplifters come up with very smart ways to defeat those systems. And so I'm going to be really curious what happens once the shoplifters uh, turn their attention to this type type of store and if they come up with any use cases um, for sneaking goods out of the store that they can't imagine. And, you know, off the top of my head, I can imagine shoppers walking in that store with pictures of inexpensive can, uh, uh, bottles of ketchup and putting them in front of the expensive goods that they want and picking it off the shelf or stuff like that. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how that works. Uh, in real stores, customers drop stuff, and you usually can't charge the customer for breaking something in the store. So it's going to be interesting to see if this system handles that. Um, it's going to be interesting if the whole privacy issue comes up. A lot of the technologies that Amazon is using are controversial at the moment. Um, at various times, Congress has threatened to to regulate 
um, how stores are allowed to track people in, in the store. And there's different issues for tracking them with video or tracking them with the Wi-Fi or Bluetooth signals on their phone. Um, you know, presumably everyone in this store has to have opted in and installed the Amazon app. And I assume that's going to be, you know, the, the thing that Amazon relies on for, for overcoming the privacy issues. Um, but I still think privacy could come up. Are they going to be storing any of this video of people? And like, if, a, if the police later ask to subpoena them, are, you know, are they going to have to turn over all that? Are, you know, there's a bunch of interesting things there. Um, and of course, traditional convenience stores make a lot of their revenue on alcohol and tobacco. Um, Amazon doesn't sell tobacco, so presumably they're not going to want to sell it in the the convenience store, but they certainly do sell alcohol. And a huge issue with alcohol is age verification and making sure that minors don't get alcohol. And you, it's very easy to get huge fines and lose your liquor license uh, for not being 100% compliant there. And so it just... It seems like self-service is going to be really risky for alcohol. I'm going to be surprised if there's any bottles of wine on the shelf in, in this early concept. But, but those are just some of the open questions that I'm really eager to find answers to. Uh, Scott, what about you? Yeah, one test I want to do is I want to open that cupcake and eat it right there and see what happens. You know, to, to, Does the machine learning kind of know that I've just consumed the cupcake in the store and what what's it do and um some of the stuff in the patent is gets a little creepy to your point on privacy where it talks about your skin tone and your hair and if you're wearing glasses you know a lot of interesting things like that that starts to get into you know this whole how tracked am i being and what kind of decisions is it making um some of the AI that's interesting um, that they also talk about in the patents is kind of more meta that kind of says, all right, the store can learn. Um, so, so let's say you have a row of 12 sandwiches there uh, and, you know, the store will actually kind of start to learn and say, well, you know, these six sandwiches are our best sellers. These other six aren't selling as well. So I'm going to change the position. And, and at eye level, the store can also learn that, you know, there's hot spots at eye level where people are buying more stuff and it can start to tell the humans that make this product and, and put it out on the shelves. It can kind of dynamically reorganize the store um, based on where things are going. Um, so that that's interesting. Um, you know, I don't think it, uh, one thing we talk about a lot on the show is personalization, and it doesn't seem like it can be terribly personalized. You know, maybe the app could say to you, "Hey, Jason, I know you love everything pumpkin spice, and here's here's six things in the store um, that are pumpkin spice." But it's not like the store shelves can kind of organize themselves for each individual consumer or anything. So, uh, so it's interesting to think through that. One thing I forgot to mention up at the top when we we're kind of talking about it. Uh, a couple of the articles I've read have said that only Prime members will be able to shop here. Um, you know, right now it's obviously Amazon employees, but it also said when it opens, it'll only be open for Prime. So, you know, that's a weird experience. So imagine someone sees this thing, wants to run in, and they're not a Prime member. What what are they going to do? Are they really not going to let them in? And or I guess they'll allow them to sign up for a Prime trial right then. Is that that's interesting? Yeah. Um, the so so you know, I, hopefully uh, you guys have a good idea about how this is going to work and some of the open questions we have. Now let's kind of kick it up to thirty thousand feet again and really think about what this means for the industry. Um, I think we're both pretty excited by this, and you know, Jason, I've gone to you and I go to a lot of these shows, and NRF is the one, um, the big show, at, which is actually coming up in January, where they have a lot of this kind of what I would call in-store technology. So 
point of sale and cashless and some of those things. Um, I think we've seen a lot of these little pieces in kind of the lab section of NRF. Uh, and, you know, it, it's really interesting. This seems to be the first kind of real company that's put this together all in one cohesive kind of an application. Um, what, what do you think this means for the industry? Yeah, well, I, I am very excited for this. As you alluded to, there, um, this is not the first uh, self-service concept. So obviously, you know, uh, every shopper is going to be familiar with self-service checkout. Um, what's, what's unique about this is this really isn't self-service checkout. This is no checkout, right? Um, and so self-service saved a bunch of retailers some money in the short term, and a lot of retailers started heavily investing in it. Now we're starting to see a lot of retailers pull back because they actually weren't seeing the the labor savings and the time savings that they were hoping to from this sort of self-service checkout. And so since that happened, we've seen a bunch of retailers testing this sort of scan-as-you-go shopping. So let's give the shopper a piece of technology, and every time they pick up a product and put it in their shopping cart, let's have them scan it, either with a piece of hardware we give them or or with their own smartphone, and then we'll know exactly what's in the cart, and we can check them out really fast. Um, Apple, you know, has that sort of self-service checkout experience today. You can go in, fire up the Apple app, scan a product, pay for it with Apple Pay, and walk out without ever talking to a person. Um, the there have been a ton for for over six years now, I think, of grocery concepts where. Everything in the store is RFID tagged, and so you just wheel your whole shopping cart through a big RFID reader, and everything's kind of seamlessly totaled and lets you check out really quick. We talked earlier about what you know what a pain it is to have RFID tags on all these things. Um, the one of the Apple stores I, I should mention that that has Scan and Go is at Grand Central Station in New York, and it's kind of a cool store because the store technically doesn't have any walls, so. Very similar to this, you can kind of get off a train, go grab uh, a Apple product, pay for it yourself, and get back on the train, and it, it really feels like you kind of stole the product. Um, so there are some of those kinds of experiences out there. Uh, Walmart has done a lot of uh, scan your own products with the, with your smartphone pilot, and those really haven't worked very well. Customers haven't adopted them particularly well. And then this year uh, at the Adobe conference, uh, Adobe demonstrated a, a product from a small startup called Twist, and this is a smart bag, and the bag actually had an RFID reader in it, so you could throw products in the bag that had RFID tags, and the bag would total up your your purchases. So there have been a lot of these things, but they all had one fatal flaw or another. They they either required clunky technology like RFID tags on every product, or they still required you to check out, and they just tried to make it a little easier. Um, what's dramatically different about this and exciting is – they're not making checkout easier. They're eliminating checkout. And and I think that has the potential to be really exciting. Yeah, it's the power of the JWAT. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, it, it, it is a head scratcher. So I think, you know, is, is, you know, recently or as long ago as maybe four or five years, we've seen these videos about the future. Uh, I, I specifically remember an IBM one where, you know, there was a cart and the, I think it was RFID and it was reading it and they just walked out of the store. Um, 
but you never see it implemented. And that's the thing that's amazing about Amazon. A lot of this stuff's existed. These ideas are, are not necessarily new, but they have the power to go and say, you know, we're going to do this. And, um, you know, one of the interesting things is they have total control over every product in the store too. So you kind of ask yourself, why has anyone done this? Uh, the technology has been around. There's some cost elements, um, you know, I think part of it is they haven't had to, and, and it's going to be really interesting to see if this is successful, what happens and what the reaction is from grocery stores, drug stores, a lot of these in convenience stores, um, because I think this could take convenience to a whole new level. I do. I, you know, I tell you, I think this is a, a perfect illustration of the – difference in the corporate culture and philosophy at Amazon than for traditional retail, right? So there's a bunch of retailers, 7-Eleven, Walgreens, you name it, um, that should have had a huge vested interest in figuring this out. And you can imagine that, that these ideas came up at all of those places. And as you said, you could walk around NRF and see all the parts you would need to snap together to do this. Um, but those stores didn't do it because I guarantee you there were there was no shortage of people explaining like I just did all the things that could go wrong and all the reasons it might not work and why it might not be scalable and in this and that and you can just come up with a million excuses and it's the normal corporate culture if we can't do this perfect if we can't you know make it scale to all of our stores right away we're not going to do it and I feel like the corporate culture at Amazon is exactly opposite why wouldn't we test this? Why wouldn't we do this? Right? Like, and so I think, I think that really is an advantage for some of these, um, game changing innovations. And it's, you know, it, if I'm a traditional retailer, I'm, I'm really nervous about these things. Yeah. One, one of the big questions I have is Amazon has this playbook that, that, uh, we've talked about on the show, but just to kind of go through it again, uh, you know, page one of the playbook is experiment and don't be afraid, afraid to fail. Um, and then when you learn from those experiments, have a plan to scale. So that's page two is all right. Uh, so let's say they try these three concepts. We know what two of them are now. We don't know what number three is. Uh, and this is the one. So, so J Watt wins. Uh, and so then they'll already have a plan for how you scale it out. Um, and you know, it's pretty convenient that they have all these fulfillment centers and, you know, they, they have all this infrastructure that is all geared to, you know, letting them roll these things out pretty quick. Now, physical retail is hard because you have this kind of you know, real estate component and it's a harder real estate component than fulfillment centers because it's trickier real estate. But anyway, that, you know, they, they, you know, there could conceivably be a plan to scale. So phase two is scale. And then phase three is the one that blows everyone in the traditional retail world's mind. And that's okay. If we invested all this money in whatever technology or infrastructure we've built, let's license it out to third to other people so that we can have, you know, them help bear the brunt of the expense. Um, the most common one people think about when I say that is Amazon web services. So AWS, uh, the cloud computing thing, but they also do it with fulfillment centers through FBA. They even do it with their retail site with the marketplace. I believe they're going to do it, uh, with their transport system and effectively at the end of the day, compete with FedEx and UPS. So one of the things that leads me to question is, uh, could they license this out? So maybe, you know, part of their, their plan is this is pretty expensive stuff. Uh, it's pretty cutting edge and machine learning gets smarter the more places it is. So so maybe there's a plan here. Maybe they go to retailers and license it out. Uh, and that's an interesting question for retailers. So let's say you're Walgreens or 7-Eleven or Kroger or Walmart. You know, Do you want Amazon technology in your store watching your customers, seeing who's buying what and, and providing this? Um, 
you know, there, there are some vendors that have pieces of this, but this, you know, you mentioned a thousand people there. There's some pretty meaty problems here that I don't think an, in, a retailer without, uh, you know, there, maybe a Walmart and some of the, maybe the top five retailers would have the resources to go at this. But, but kind of beyond that, it's, they're going to have to work with a vendor. And I don't think any vendor has put it together in such a cohesive way. If, you know, with, with a little asterisk of if, if it does, uh, work the way it looks like it does in the video. So that's going to be interesting, you know, and, and uh, retailers, listeners should start thinking, if you're a retailer, you should start thinking through that, that calculus of, you know, what, what should we do? And uh, would I license this? And what's a model that makes sense? Those kinds of things. Yep. And I, I think there's an awesome piece of judo here. The overwhelming majority of retailers are, you know, dramatically increasing their investment in digital and e-commerce, right? Like largely in reaction to Amazon. And I, you know, it's way harder to get a retailer to make some new investment in store infrastructure today than it was a few years ago because the stores aren't growing real fast. Most retailers are planning on closing some stores. And so how ironic is it that right when Amazon has kind of caused a bunch of retailers to shift most of their big investments to digital, um, that they just plop a game-changing technology for brick-and-mortar stores, and they're the first ones to invest in it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What um, what do you think, uh, you know, what's the savings? So, so have retailers out there kind of figured out, you know, all right, if I, you know, how much money do I kind of, and maybe it's opportunity cost. I don't know how to quantify it. Like what, what is the cost of checkout? Yeah. Well, so I, I think there's a ton of potential savings here. We talked about like, Aside even from checkout, there's a bunch of economic benefits to just knowing your inventory better, having better inventory accuracy, and not having to pay cashiers or clerks to walk around the store and take inventory, for example. So there are all those costs. Um, then there's actually the transaction, uh, the co- higher conversion rate because there aren't people waiting in line and all of those sorts of things. And we don't have to guess at that because Walmart was nice enough to tell us that, right? When when they first launched their, their scan-and-go checkout, their self-service checkout, they said part of the reason they were doing that is because they believed that for every second they could shave off of checkout, they could save $12 million. Um, and so eliminating checkout entirely – is, is a, a very meaningful savings for someone like Walmart. And then the last potential savings, which, which is, you know, controversial and scary is, you know, a, you could imagine in the ultimate version of this that, that uh, retailers wouldn't have to employ cashiers. And today there's something like 3.5 million people working as cashiers. Yeah, another study, and I, I don't remember the specifics, but Starbucks uh, over the last three years has attributed a lot of their same store sales growth to um, the app and the payment. You know, it started with with the mobile payment speeding three people through checkout, uh, but now even you know the mobile ordering has caused this huge other step function up for them. Um, so, so I think that kind of jives with what you're hearing there. Um, one question I saw a lot of uh, on. Uh, out on the interwebs was, uh, is this going to be the end of cashiers? So there's evidently 3.5 million-ish cashiers employed. Um, you know, uh, I think those people were probably already nervous by some of the self-checkout systems. Uh, uh, and, you know, I think that uh, the thing that's interesting about this store to point out is when you read the the description, so um, go to amazon.com slash go and 
you know, what, what they talk about is there's a fair number of handmade products here and chefs that work in the store. So I think this is actually not a labor savings. I think this is actually probably a pretty expensive store from a labor perspective. Uh, if you think about like a 7-Eleven, for example, you've typically got, you know, two cashier type people. Um, and then one of them will cycle through and maybe kind of work on some hot food when it's not busy and put some pizzas in the thing and a hot dog on the rotisserie. Um, this seems to be a lot heavier that there's some back office to this that is making up quite a bit of this food. And when you look at the video, um, you know, I would say 75% of the product is, is kind of, you know, made kind of fresh product. Uh, and that's going to require, um, you know, a fair amount of human intervention. So if a sandwich is made, uh, it's going to have a shelf life. And so some humans going to have to come out and take the, the bad sandwiches off replenish and, and some of that kind of stuff. So, so I actually think at the end of the day, this is not a job story because I think it's actually going to be pretty expensive from, from that perspective because of the, the fresh food nature uh, of the whole thing. Yeah, I think you could be right for this store at Amazon, but if they license this technology to the rest of retail, like, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Amazon does have this. Uh, we've seen them raise the bar. You know, everyone's website used to be terrible. And now, now they all try to try to keep up with Amazon. So, Jason, let's bottom line it for the listeners. Um, is this just a little experiment or is this going to be a game changer? I absolutely think it's going to be a game changer, Scott. I think um, I don't know whether Amazon has nailed the technology and whether this iteration has the potential to scale and, and be big right away. But I think the first time a consumer walks into the store, picks up their milk and walks out without any checkout friction, it's going to become immediately apparent to that consumer that that's the experience they want, right? And so it's going to raise the bar, and we're going to f- have to figure out how to deliver it, whether Amazon has perfectly figured it out already or not. Um, to me, this is very similar to the first time you take that Uber, and you get out of the Uber, and you didn't have to figure out the tip, and you didn't have to find out if he takes credit cards and go through all that payment friction. The first time you walk out of that Uber, and you're automatically charged, and you say, man, this is a way better way. Why would I ever do it the old way again? And I, I, I don't think I've ever talked to a consumer that said, man, I really enjoyed the line at that retail store. And so I think when, when consumers get to skip checkout, that that's going to be the new expectation. Yeah. And, um, I, I agree. So I, I, I do this talk where I talk about, um, you know, the rate of change has really increased and consumers are changing in ways that I think, uh, you know, everyone, be it even the retail and service industry, are struggling to understand. And one of the things we talk about that I talk about is there's there's the move to mobile and social and those things. Uh, one that's kind of a little bit harder to get across to people is what I call zero friction. So um, there's been a lot of studies that show once you have a consumer experience. Well, well, first of all, uh, you know this, but but uh, I'm sure listeners. So there's a lot of new thinking around customer experiences and how important they are. Uh, you know, a lot of people uh, are kind of either getting rid of a CMO kind of a title and having a CXO, so chief customer experience officer. So it's becoming very, very important as people realize that that's, that's the key way to differentiate yourself. Um, but then there, there's been a lot of studies. And, and one of the ones that's really interesting I've seen is when you have a great customer experience, um, you know, the, the next time you don't have that experience, it, it just really makes that 
not optimize experience 10 times worse. So, so the good example is, you know, let's, let's say uh, you and I are big Starbucks users. So, uh, you know, let's say you forget to use the mobile app or something like that, or, or, uh, and then you go wait in that line that the pain of that line is kind of multiplied by, you know, 10 to a hundred X. Um, that's obvious, but what's not obvious is, that customer experience transports to all your other customer experiences. So, so now when you're in the grocery store line, so so let's so we're used to mobile ordering at Starbucks. You order, you walk in, you pick up your coffee and go. Now you're in the grocery store and you're waiting in line. That just makes that experience that much more painful. Or you're returning your Hertz rental car and you're waiting, you know, thirty minutes for the dude to check you out. Or the you know what what it does is you get addicted to this zero friction and it amplifies the friction that happens in your life. Um, so I think you know. It, it is going to be a game changer. And as people have these kinds of experiences, it's going to be the status quo. The one thing I question about the whole thing, uh, and again, this is kind of tainted by my Starbucks experience. Uh, I think mobile ordering is even better than kind of this JWAT just walk out technology. You know, what, what would be a better experience than what they're talking about here is what I would rather do is I would rather, um, you know, order at my leisure using a mobile app and say, hey, I'm going to want a sandwich, three things of ketchup and this, and then just go have it already ready there for me. So so that would even streamline things even more, which is interesting because I kind of think that's one of the things they're experimenting with, right? That's going to be the other store. So so it's going to be really fascinating to see which one of these experiments, and I'm, I'm dying to know what the third one is. So, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe that's drone, you know, drone delivery to you or something. I, I can't even think about what that is. The only way I think you could take more friction out is more of an Instacart Postmates kind of thing. So maybe that's what the third one is. But I think they've almost kind of said, here's three different customer experiences that are optimized in different ways. Which one do people like? Is it the checkout that bothers them? They still want to touch and feel the food and, and you know smell the cantaloupe or whatever it is? Uh, or is it uh, is it mobile? Is it buy online and we and then just drive through and pick it up or is it maybe with a delivery option so it's going to be really fascinating to see what happens here but but you know, I, I think yeah you know, we both agree that this will raise the bar for everybody and it's going to be pretty impactful to the whole industry absolutely uh for what it's worth my bet is that all of these concepts are going to work for different customers in different use cases so i think there are absolutely times when Maybe you don't know what you want for dinner that night or you, you want to do the hunt and, and you want the smell of the pizza in the store to influence you to buy the pizza, but you just want to avoid all that annoying friction of checking out and wasting time. There's going to be other times when you know exactly what you want and you just want to you know order it in the lowest friction way possible on your, on your mobile phone and, and uh, you know pick it up or have it delivered on your way home. And then you know the, the third model we may have already seen from Amazon, it may be Dash... Um, replenishment, you know, there are going to be times when, why do I need any friction at all? You know, I always need toilet paper. Why don't you magically just make toilet paper appear at my front door right before I, I run out? And so I, I, my experience is there are very few consumers that exclusively want, you know, have one of those problems at different times, you know, consumers have all of those problems. And so I think, you know, Amazon's really smart to be investing in all of them. Um, and uh, with that, Scott, it, it, I'm afraid I have to tell you that it's happened again. We have wasted a perfectly good hour of our listeners' time. Uh, but, Scott, I enjoyed the bonus excuse to talk to you in extra time this week. So thanks very much. Yeah, yeah, and, and thanks, everyone, for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this deep dive of Amazon Go. And obviously, we'll be tracking this very closely. So stay tuned. Until next time, happy commerce. Thank you. 
You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.